Hey y'all, welcome to Talk Pod Sex with Monica Renee. And Chris Edward. And I really hope you guys like the show that we have lined up for you today. Um, some interesting topics. It's going to be a good show. Definitely. Um, I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while now, and I'm so happy to have it finally come into fruition. It's your baby. Are you excited? Yes, I, I'm I'm definitely excited. A bit nervous, um, <laughs> but hopefully I can get the kinks out eventually. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, they're going to love it. So let's get started. Monica Renee. Why did you start the show? Well, I've always wanted to pursue a career in sex therapy, but I wanted to reach an audience outside of my practice. And I reflected on shows like Talk Sex with Sue Johansson, Dr. Ruth, even Teen Summit on BET, which was dedicated more so to black youth, but they provided information on STDs, STIs, they provided information on having a healthy body image. And I just wanted to create an avenue where um, we were bringing current events and meeting the needs of today's millennials uh, regarding human sexuality. I'm so excited to have you as a co-host. What brought you to do a sex podcast with me? You know, it's so um, interesting because as a kid or like in the younger days, I never even watched any or heard of any other sex positive things because I grew up in a very... Um, I wouldn't say strict, but very conservative household. So, you know, it wasn't children's business or young people's business to hear about sex. You know, that's that's safe for the bedroom after marriage, all that stuff. But as a gay black man, I'm over here like, but I'm going to have sex before marriage if marriage was even a thing. So (laughs) I guess now I'm at that point since the world is a little bit more free um, and there's a lot more to talk about. I figure since I... Um, live in this world and see these things from a different perspective. I'd love to be a part of this uh, resurgence of positive sex talk. It's so interesting that you mentioned um, like the way how sexuality was handled in your home. You know, it's a shame that we have such a sexual culture and yet things like this aren't, you know, shared with, you know, preteens and in the least. Yeah. And it's rough when you hit that puberty stage and you're just wondering like, okay, what do I do here? Like I'm going through all these changes. I may or may not be attracted to the sex that my parents would like me to be attracted to what's going on. You know, it's a really rough spot. Um, And that just continues on up until, you know, college years where, you know, we're still discovering our own bodies. Oh my God, puberty was the worst, okay? I do not wish that on my greatest enemies. It was a terrible time for, I think, almost everyone, but for me specifically, I hadn't, because I lived in such a conservative household and we weren't really allowed to watch or listen to certain things, sex to me sounded like the opposite of pleasure. It definitely sounded more like pain. Um, That is until I got into porn, which is a whole different story. But um, whenever I thought about sex, I always thought about like, hellfire and brimstone and damnation so whenever someone brought up sex it was like oh my god why would you even want that in your life and then puberty strikes and you know erections become a thing it's like wait but that doesn't feel as bad as it sounds (laughs) you know it's unfortunate that that education doesn't take place in the home and then we start to idolize these sexual figures that um not only tell, you know, the youth, but, you know, grown-ass adults on how they should be and how they carry themselves and what they should think about themselves. Um, we have the the Kim Kardashian up today and the Merlin Monroe of yesteryear. Um, however, Black women don't get that same respect. We have, for example, Amber Rose and Black China who um, have similar past as Kim Kardashian, but they don't get that same um that same past, that same respect that Kim Kardashian would get. Um, And then we have someone like Marilyn Rowe, who, I mean, she was sleeping with a married man who was also the president. It's definitely unfortunate that non-Black women get this past. You know, we see it in history and we see it in in the modern day, but um, Black women don't get that same respect in that aspect. I think this is very interesting, especially when it comes down to Kim K and Amber Rose, because honestly, for the longest time, I, well, I don't even know if I do right now. I don't know what I consider, but I never considered Amber Rose to actually be black. Like her mom is Cape Verdean, but her mother's parents, one's mixed black and um, Portuguese. And I think her father is full on Portuguese. 
and then Amber's father is Portuguese or some other sort of white or something like that. So it's like, you know, she has that one drop rule that we quote unquote don't follow, but we totally follow. Um, and that kind of gives her her path. And along with being, you know, a reformed stripper or a previous stripper, not reformed stripper, they ain't nothing to reform from. Stripping's a great career choice if you need it. But um, yeah. Right? It's kind of like, like they make more money than I do. Right. Hello. I'd love to be a stripper, but, you know, <laughs> certain things I just don't fit the qualifications for. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. So she has, you know, the quote unquote black girl ass and she can shake it whenever she wants to. And she's in the hip hop scene. So it's kind of like she has black culture surrounding her, whether she's considered black or not. Whereas Kim, I almost feel like once that same sort of shroud of blackness that Amber already has, you know, uh, but the way that Kim has gone about it has been more on a, um, almost appropriative white girl style. It's been, instead of really delving into the culture and making it authentic, she'd rather uh, surround herself with basically um, items, Black people as items. It's like Kanye is a clothing item. Ray J was a clothing item. Things like that, where she's not really authentically in the culture. So when it comes down to Kim's sexuality versus Amber's sexuality, we look at Kim, even though she's, in my opinion, not white. I do not consider Armenians or anyone from that region of the Caucasoid um, areas to be white. I don't consider them that at all. I only consider Europeans white. But being that she is classified as Caucasian and how we see race today, she's a white girl. Um, she, in her sexuality, is always going to be innocent. No matter how many times she poses nude for a magazine or um, talks about her tits and ass or any of that, she's always going to be seen as innocent. Like she started her life out with a sex tape and yet we still praise her for being so successful, which she is very successful. I'm not going to downplay that. She took that 15 minutes of either fame or embarrassment and took it to a whole new level. I cannot be mad at her hustle. But it's so interesting when we see Amber who started stripping because she needed to. You know, she's in the economic stat uh, status where she needed to make some money. Um, and so she she did what she knew she could do, and that was strip. Um, and so we look at her in a totally different light. We look at her as trashy or quote-unquote ghetto or hood because she became a stripper. Whereas we look at um, Kim, who's just a, I was going to say glorified porn star, but no, she is, she's a, you know, she made a sex tape, a really bad sex tape, and was able to monopolize on it. Completely horrible. It was so bad. Oh, my God. And Ray J's stroke game looks terrible. Like, I would never have sex with Ray J. That looked ridiculous. Well, Kim Kardashian has created an empire. Um, it's almost as if we've forgiven her for what has happened, you know, for the sex tape that I may or may not seen, seen, have seen that was completely dry tired and delayed but we have amber rose who can't quite move past this this image that she has this you know i am my ass and titties type image that um we've kind of like stamped her with and we haven't even given her the opportunity to express herself as a business woman. you know what and i don't think we ever will but i don't think that's also fully our you know our doing I think her team, her friends, and herself have built up this um, stripper thing as her brand. And if she changes that, I think she feels like she's going to lose a part of herself, uh, which is not a problem in my opinion. Like, if you want to continue being that kind of girl uh, where that's your that's your M.O., um, this booty-shaking, no-clothes-wearing kind of thing, cool, I'm not mad at it. You know, do you, because your life is yours to live. But I think if she wants to elevate her brand, she would have to... Um, kind of follow Kim K's lead and switch up uh, the types of brands she starts. You feel me? Like she wrote a book about basically being a gold digger, which is fine. I personally love it. I've only read um, like the first chapter and it's genius, but it's still not allowing her to grow past. I'm a stripper, you know, like it's, it, she's, she's not available to grow past it which isn't necessarily her fault either, um, but it's not necessarily our fault as well. I think there's so much uh, complexity in her image right now that I don't think anyone knows how to vamp it up. 
speaking of gold digging, I remember a while back when Corinne Steffens was doing her rounds, talking about her um, sexcapades in the music industry, or more specifically, the hip-hop industry. Who are we talking about? Who is this? Uh, Corinne Superhead Steffens, um, the video honey. I don't think I read her book. Well, um, in the book, she talks about all these men who she slept with. Um, it was really controversial at the time. Um, but eventually it all kind of simmered down. I mean, it took a while, but it all simmered away. And, you know, she's remarried twice. Um, and we still have given her that pass. Um, not all the way like a Kim Kardashian. Um, but she still has gotten somewhat of a society pass. And we kind of put her on the legendary pedestal of video honeys from back in the day. You know what? I haven't been following her life. Admittedly, I kind of forgot about her. Um, but I, I think that says a lot about um, how Amber is treated right now. Like Superhead was able to be phased out. She was no like she's still going to be punchline in certain points and jokes and things. But she was able to be phased out a bit. Whereas Amber will probably always be Amber Rose, the stripper, the one that um, was with Kanye, and the one that is best friends with Black China. Like, she's never going to grow out of this kind of image that she has. I mean, speaking of Black China, um, she's recently come into headlines with her whole scandal um, and Kim Child. K and Kylie. I am waiting for her to announce that she is pregnant with the only real Kardashian heir. I will live, okay? She's out here um, plotting her revenge all secretly and silently just to swoop up and uh, get a Kardashian boy just for vengeance on the friendship that she had with Chloe and Kim and all that stuff. Uh, that being said, I find it very interesting that she's also not going to be able to outrun, or not even outrun, I'm pretty sure she's proud of her past, but she's not going to be able to grow from there. Because even now, she's she's doing a very classically uh, woman thing in the role of womanhood throughout history. And that's the only ways to um, come up in, in stature is to marry up. And marrying a Kardashian is like, you know, social media, pop culture royalty in the moment. So the fact that she's dating Rob and possibly pregnant with Rob's baby, I'm going to claim that now. Hopefully. She's almost uh, historically using her femininity and her female prose to get further in life. Uh, again, I'm not mad at it. As a man, I definitely can't hate on it. I don't know what it's like to be a woman in this world. Uh, but, you know, that's, I feel like she's using, yet again, her body and her womanhood to get her places. I can easily say that Kim Kardashian is doing the exact same thing. Hell yeah, she did the same thing. The fact that she married Kanye boosted her life. Like, she could have fallen off had, not, had she not married Kanye. But this just gave her a whole new level. Now she's Mrs. West. So, like, yeah. And she has those gorgeous children. Oh, gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. And North is my spirit. Oh, my goodness. She is. <laughs> but China has um, created this image for herself. We only know her because, you know, she had this sexual um, past. And that's how she rose to stardom. Right. Even when she's with Amber Rose, when they kind of became besties, when they would post things on Instagram, it was still very sexual. I'm not saying that to knock her. It's just, I don't know if she'll ever be able to separate from that because that's all that she has put out there for us. And then she has this baby by Tyga, you know, and his, you know, escapades and um, allegedly dating underage girls. Right, allegedly. <laughs> Tyga, ugh, good God. We'll talk about that for another episode. That's a mess so, right there. You know, I'm not even going to knock her for what she does, but on the same note, you know, I wish that we would still give her that opportunity to be something else. I don't think Black China is going to be able to um, not use her body to get what she needs. Like, you know, Kim will be okay if Kanye and her were divorced. I don't think China can come up after, you know, if this whole thing with Rob doesn't work out. I don't think there's going to be much left for her. Uh, and I feel like that's really unfortunate that we give Kim so much, but China, who's clearly black, like, you know, not even like Amber, where you could be, oh, she's kind of black, but maybe not really. No, no, no. Black China is black. She is African American. Okay. <laughs> so we don't give her um, as much as we want to. We almost, especially as other black people, look down on her 
uh, for her her hood rich mentality, which is really upsetting. But it's true that we kind of give white girls or white women, sorry, I don't mean to call them girls. That's rude. We give white girls and white women these these passes where they do something thoughtish and it's it's okay, you know. It's just oh well, she's free and um, you know men don't rule her life and blah 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 blah. And then with black women, it's why you got to be a hoe, why you got to be a thought, blah, 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 as opposed to letting them be, you know. Um, that being said, it's not like Kim Kardashian fucked the president, but still, um, we give we give them these props. Marilyn is kind of different from Kim, though, because Marilyn actually had a career before she was um, all sex. Like, granted, she started off as a model when she was Norma Jean, um, but it was like a small town magazine. It wasn't like, you know, pinup. Uh, even though she had pinup-esque pictures. She didn't really move into this uh, sexuality role until her hair turned blonde and her name was Marilyn Monroe. And that's when she got all these roles of of being hot and sexy. Like in, in the film, Some Like It Hot, which is one of my favorite films, and it's the inspiration for White Chicks, which is another one of my favorite films. Uh, the entire thing is about her being this kind of flighty, dumb, uh, blonde who just... You know, she really just out there trying to get money and sex. And that's really all that all that her character was about. That kind of just fused into her real life, as we see with lots of actors who get typecast. Especially, you know, we look at Gabrielle Union, who was typecast as the bitchy girlfriend. And then we have Megan Good, who was the sexy girlfriend. You know, they're always an accessory to a man in the movies. And so for Marilyn Monroe, she was always the sexual accessory. And we kind of fuse that into her real life. And I think she just kind of ran with it at that point. Well, besides Marilyn Monroe, we have so many other women that kind of really take hold of their sexuality and yet they're shut down for it based on just their race or their body type. And it becomes somewhat problematic that we do this. And almost kind of disgusting that um, one woman can be praised while the other woman is completely dehumanized and objectified in the public eye. I think back throughout history where there have been many women who have, they didn't have to take off their clothes, or even if they did, it was still some form of um, in that. So, I mean, just like quickly, just running through some names, we have Esther Betty Boop Jones, who was the inspiration for the cartoon character Pam Greer, um, an actress of the 70s, really famous for her black exploitation films, Josephine Baker, Dorothy Dandridge, Jackie O, even Twiggy, who, you know, was a model, she still had this sex appeal to her. Maya Angelou, Stacey Dash, and, and you know what? I'm not even I'm gonna Yeah, save that one. I know where you're going I'm gonna with that one. Her from that. Um <laughs> But to continue, Missy Elliott, who at one point was everywhere. Right. And she really took hold of her body. Even when she was in a plastic blow-up suit, she still owned her sexuality. Even if she was talking about, you know, a minute man or, you know, looking at herself in the mirror and just being totally obsessed with who she was. And yet, you know... She still doesn't get that same honor and praise as these other girls out here. Yeah. Missy was such an interesting um, case study for this. Like, she is the definition of a boss, in my opinion. Because she got Jay-Z, you know, who was the top rapper at the time, to be on a song called One Minute Man. Like, that's... (laughs) If that's not empowering your own sexuality, I don't know what is. Uh, The fact that she was a big girl, thick girl, um, and then she was able to make these songs, which really were all about the pleasure points of, of the woman body. It was all about, you know, you're going to do this for this long. You're going to have me uh, do this because I want to, you know, things like that. She kind of really owned that part of her sexuality, even though she wasn't necessarily sexy. And that was so cool of her. Like she really did, um, she really did use her confidence <clears throat> in a very non-traditional sexy way. And then we have, Josephine, who, you know, everyone knows her her banana dress, like that she's iconic Definitely. for being topless and just really loving her own body. But then when you go to the white girls like Twiggy and Jackie O, they didn't really have to use their bodies. Like yes, Twiggy was a model and her thinness is what is what built her brand. So without her body, she wouldn't have had the success she did. But it wasn't necessarily sexy. 
Uh, and I think because she was a high fashion model, it gave her an air of class. It's like when Tyra Banks would be like, you know, make it hoe, but make right. it sexy. You know, when she does that on her yeah. show. It's that same kind of thing. Where Twiggy, standing there naked, the fact that she didn't have much curve and the fact that she was, you know, doing high fashion poses, we, we didn't see her as a sex symbol, but more so a symbol of womanhood. Same with Jackie O. We see her as a symbol of womanhood, but not necessarily a sex symbol. And she was sexy to a certain degree. I didn't find her sexy. I'm going to blame that on the whole gay thing. But, you know, she was sexy to somebody. I just found her really um, elegant and the, very uh, womanly. And I guess, you know, if someone were to be in the drag scene, I could see them trying to emulate her. You know, female impersonators would try to emulate Jackie O. They try to emulate Twiggy. Whereas, you know, the drag queens and stuff aren't going to try to emulate uh, Missy Elliott. You feel me? Or Dorothy Dandridge. Or Dorothy Dandridge. I mean, the older queens would, but these young girls probably wouldn't. And so it just seems like black women have a harder time separating themselves from this sexual image if they choose to show a little bit of skin. Then at, after that, that's all really people look for when it comes to their performances or mm -hmm. their acting um, or whatever art form that they have. They just become simply their bodies and not who they are in their artistry although you know who broke out of that i don't think pam greer got half of the negative attention that i would have thought she would have had you know instead she be actually did become a very prominent and respected sex symbol in the black community but i think it's because of the era that she was a part of and the type of films like black exploitation films where respected among us even though you know it is black exploitation but it was it was something that was so deeply enriched in our culture and something that we really cherished. I think that we just appreciated that we had such a sexy girl out there. That being said, she does have very European features in her face and she is a little bit on the lighter side. Who knows, you know, if a darker girl could have got away with that in that time period, but Pam Greer is definitely one of the known and respected sex symbols of the people of color. She spectrum. still didn't get the same praise as Kim Kardashian, even given the times. Oh, no, she didn't get half the fame that she should have had. She should have been way past Kim, okay? Because that girl had talent and sex appeal. Kim recently got talent for business, and that's because her mom put her in charge of that shit. Like, Kim couldn't do that all by herself. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kris Jenner really spearheaded um, the whole Kardashian stardom that she's right. created. Which I actually find that very sexy of Kris. You know, even though we're talking about Kim and stuff, I think Kris has her own brand of sex appeal, Um she, I think she, if she wanted to, could pull a Kim K, not necessarily making a sex tape, but if she wanted to kind of do the whole body thing, it would, it would make you get people talking and it'd be widely respected because, you know, Chris is of a certain age and it's really right. great when older women can still own their sexuality. So I think, I think Chris has her own brand of sexy going on. She's creepy to me, but she's also very sexy. <laughs> Very creepy. And I can't even front. Like, I think that would be very powerful for a woman of her age to really just embody who she is, even in mm -hmm. um, being a, a grandmother, you know, at this point. But that still doesn't take away the fact that um, she's really pimped out her daughters, in a sense, for fame. She's essentially a madam. She has pimped out her daughters, each and every one of them. Rob is the only one that has remained untouched by Chris's hands. Speaking of business, Chris Edward has some valuable information for you guys. All right. So there's this website called officialblackwallstreet.com, and I am in love with it. I love to buy black. Like, all the money that we could circulate within the community would be phenomenal. And the official Black Wall Street, is its goal is to make sure that we, um, that our, our cultural economy continue to grow and thrive and so what they have on their website is a business directory business reviews general news and economics and job postings and deals oh my gosh i love it so much it's like a a virtual black marketplace and if you get a chance you all should go and check out the website that's officialblackwallstreet.com yeah, definitely. Um, whether you're searching for, you know, a lawyer or a gift for someone, um, having a source where you can just go to to see all types of black businesses is definitely valuable. Yes, it is everything. But now let's get back to the show. And I think that's something that we see a lot in um, in the world, but specifically in people of color uh, and community in minority community groups 
is that we often give the men in the family the pass while the women have this very expected and um, almost a need for the, the female children to have a sense of femininity and sex appeal. It's like, it's almost, it's back to a historical thing. Like you can't get married if you're not appealing to a man. So you can't make it big if you're not appealing to a man. And that's kind of what we've seen out of most, if not all female celebrities today. Uh, even, even what's her name? Ugh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. She's fantastic. She played in Devil Wears Prada. She, uh, Meryl Streep? I can't remember. There we go. Thank you. I didn't know why I couldn't remember her name just now. But even Meryl Streep in her younger days had had a, you know, essence of sex appeal that kind of boosted her up a bit. She got all those um, classy white girl roles, you know, where it's like, I'm a new girl in town kind of thing. And I'm an ingenue kind of turned out a little bit. But it was always very tamed, even though, you know, she really was a, she was a, a figurehead. I wouldn't even say she was a sex symbol, but she she definitely was a symbol of this innocent blonde girl kind of thing. And then it grew in her grant, her brand grew into this, you know, sexy, confident thing for an older lady, uh, a more mature lady. Angela Bassett is mature and sexy. She has an extreme amount of talent um, and she has sex appeal. I mean, like it's almost like she doesn't even age. She just um, like turns into wine or something. But I look back over her body of work, even in American Horror Story, where she had a sex scene. Oh, my Um, God. I did not watch this last season. They had a sex scene. Yes, unfortunately, Ugh. gladly, I don't know. Um, okay, I disapprove, but that's for a whole different subject. <laughs> but even in roles like um, when she played Tina Turner in her biopic, um, What's Love Got to Do With It, she was still an amazing woman, like just owning her body and being, you know, everything. Well, a big part of a big part of that one is that she was, you know, it wasn't necessarily she was owning her sexuality. She was owning Tina Turner's sexuality, you know? And Tina's sexuality is phenomenal. Like, the way that she expressed herself as a woman of color in this kind of rock and roll scene was incredible. Like, Cher could barely keep up with her when they performed together. <laughs> I was just like, poor Cher. You know, Tina Turner's off to the side, and she's just, like, completely owning it, whereas Cher's on the other side just kind of, you know, giving you a little yes. a little shuffle. Like, that's another way where it's a, a quote-unquote respectable way to own your sexuality, quote-unquote. It's because she was on stage performing as a musical artist. She was really able to get away with the fringe and the high skirts and stuff, and that became part of her brand in a very positive way. So that's another um, woman of color that's kind of gotten... Um, the respect pass as opposed to the quote-unquote hoe pass. But at the same time, she did not have the career she should have. She should have been a lot bigger than she was, even though she was huge. She should have been a lot bigger than she was. And had it been, you know, Cher's career was bigger than her career, debatably. And Cher's not even sexy, you know? Like, she tried to give up the whole sex thing, but she's not sexy to me. Someone might kill me for that, but I don't Right. Um, <laughs> speaking of Tina Turner, someone who has kind of um, become her... Uh, yes. her apprentice um is Beyonce and you know let me just preface this you know right please do because be careful when you mention Beyonce <laughs> like she comes on stage and she has this you know sexual presence and it's very powerful yes. um she's always you know wearing you know somewhat minimum clothing and yet for a while she kind of held on to white America's, I guess, attention that wasn't sort of um, like just the male gaze or she was just her body. Um, People really respected her. But then with this latest album, um, the self-titled Beyonce album, Mm -hmm. uh, she became more risque. Um, She performed at the Grammys. She performed Drunk in Love with her husband, Jay-Z. And it was so much controversy that resulted from this performance people literally called her a whore you know in articles if she's not in a leotard tomorrow i will be shocked okay i will be shocked because that's that's part of her mo is leotards i think what kind of made drunken love um that performance a different um that we kind of we kind of judged it differently is it was a different side of beyonce like for one that was i think her first performance with short hair which we've, you know, we're so used to Beyonce's long blonde hair blowing in the fan. Uh, it was, you know, this is the first time that it was short. And then 
usually she wears brighter colors when she's performing and with the new with the latest Beyonce album self-titled one she's kind of started wearing more darker colors so it's it's almost like she intended for that to be the message and I don't I, mean, I don't know her intent she never really shares all of it but I feel like she really wanted to in that instance boost up her her sexuality and kind of own it more as you know like she said she's a grown-ass woman you know like she she really wanted to put it out there in that way whereas before she wore you know these peach and pink and yellow leotards which were like you know more like elevated little girl dance uniforms you, you feel me like it was gorgeous on her because you know her body's everything and it's Beyonce she's gonna have expensive stuff but essentially you know they were just dance leotards that you could see little girls dancing in uh, when she upgraded to black, it became more of, you know, the stripper idea, the stripper um, artistic eye. It was darker. It was mysterious. It was bondage wear. And then there's, you know, this wet hair and she's on a chair. That entire performance screamed sex. And I don't know why people were expecting anything different because she kind of gave sex since the moment she became Beyonce on her own. Like Crazy in Love, that entire video was sex like it wasn't her having sex with anyone but it was straight up sex appeal the walk the heels the daisy dukes the t-shirt the car scene you know flames all of this was to embody a sense of sex and that's kind of been her brand ever since the fact that this last album of hers became a little bit more um it was more blunt it was it was more of her inner feelings as as a sexually active woman uh, with her husband, mind you, I can't believe people even tried to like clown her for that. She's talking about her husband in every last song, but whatever. Um, I think it kind of threw people off. It was like, oh, it doesn't feel like I can get away with this anymore. Right. Um, and so a lot of people kind of judged it. So even talking about you know sexual acts on this album. Yeah, like Blow is all about. Yeah, Blow is all about getting head as a woman getting head from a man. Like that was what Blow was all about. <laughs> Yeah, and even just, you know, on her single partition, she talked about, you know, he, Monica Lewis, get all on my gown. Right. And then, you know, Monica Lewis, she tried to clap back, but like, girl, you know, please, like. Girl, Monica, if you know, see, that's another one of the white girls that actually didn't get away with it. She didn't boost into fame. In fact, we shunned the hell out of Monica Lewinsky when that happened. I mean, not we, we were young. We just did what our parents told us, but everyone else was like, oh my God, what a slut. I can't believe this. How gross and blah, blah, blah. And like barely anyone really came for Bill. It was all about Monica was so gross. Monica was disgusting. But really Monica was a young girl in her 20s with the President of the United States. Like, I'm not mad at her. I'm okay. I'm mad at her because, you know, there was a marriage here that you were fucking around in. But I'm more mad at Bill. Bill took the vows, not Monica. Monica has no part in that marriage. <laughs> okay? I think... The reason why we protected Bill so much was he was our quote unquote first black president. Oh, I hate that. We're going to talk about that one another time too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and we wanted to like protect him. Mm -hmm. So he was Monica, ours. Yeah. Exactly. So Monica was butting in on that. And then mm -hmm. we kind of, you know, retaliated against her. We really did. We set her on fire on a stake. Like we really did. And it's so funny, you know, I'm thinking back on now, we just finished talking about Marilyn and how it was so, ad not admirable, but it was so classy that she slept with the president. We have someone over here, Monica, and she did the same thing. I think the level of class privilege that Marilyn had versus Monica is what threw that one out. You know, Marilyn had her own. She was her own woman. Monica's name only became a thing because of Bill. Uh, and I think that's how we see it. And when we go back to Beyonce and the fact she's talking about, you know, Monica Lewinsky all in my gown and, you know, her song Blow and all that stuff. This is the first time where we've really seen heavy criticism of Beyonce. And I would attribute that to the fact that she is a black woman. And she kind of accidentally reminded people that she's black by talking more about her sexuality right. and made people uncomfortable. You know, she was able to get this pass. She was able to get the white girl pass before because she was so innocent appearing. And her songs were like, you know, little white girls could sing along in the minivan with their mom and no one would really care. But now she came, you know, she grew up a little bit and became a little bit more adult. And I think people really started to realize, oh, wait, she does have, yeah, she does have nice uh, upper body. She does have a great lower body. She is melanated. Like, you know, she's a black woman. And it kind of struck people again when they when they were reminded of her sexuality. And I found that very interesting to watch and defend. It really was. Um, the fact that she had, 
uh, Chimamanda, I can't pronounce her last name, but the very great Nigerian feminist icon of, of our time right now, she had her on there um, speaking so eloquently about what feminism really is. And then I don't know the name of the French woman that um, was speaking in partition, but that entire part in French is saying how it's, you know, feminists like sex. Sex is a great thing. Why don't you like sex? And no one should be shamed for having sex. She has these very great quote unquote girl power moments that you would think white feminists would be all over. And yet she was kind of, you know, they tried to throw her under the bus. The beehive wasn't having it, but people really try to shame her for that. And it was so interesting to see that. I'm so glad that you brought up feminism because I have to absolutely put it out there that there are different schools of feminism and I subscribe to womanism, which is a school of thought of feminism. Yes, put that out there, the, the different tiers of feminism. <laughs> and often, you know, I'm somewhat offended when, Hello. you know, quote unquote white feminism um, kind of sticks their head out there in this Taylor Swift-esque manner to praise one woman for owning her sexuality um, when she isn't black, but then on the other hand, um, telling a black woman that she's gone too far mm -hmm. when she tries to own her sexuality. Womanism is uh, the intersection of both our gender and our, our ethnicity, our race. Um, so when I look at someone like Beyonce, you know, in some moments, you know, <clears throat> I can only say, you know, she is, she's completely owning her body and owning who she is as a woman. So I definitely just had to put that out there, you know, the differences between, you know, mainstream feminism and womanism. Right. Let them know. <laughs> it's so funny. You, you know, brought up the whole Taylor Swift style feminism, um, we, we see this applied in different ways to Miley Cyrus, even though people respect Taylor more than Miley. But the fact that Miley, you know, quote unquote, brought twerking to the mainstream, it was, oh, she's quirky. Oh, she's just a kid, all these things. But the twerk team is still hated on by so many people. I don't even know if they're still a thing right now, but, you know, back when they were really big people. Yeah, I mean, they pioneered twerking, you know. Yeah, like they really shame them for twerking their asses on camera. But we have Miley, who doesn't have an ass, trying to shake something all over a damn oh, stage. somebody's husband. And we give her, a, oh, she's a kid. And somebody's husband. And we give her, she's a kid. She's quirky. She's weird. She's trying to break out of her Disney image. But when it comes to black women, they're not allowed to be sexy. And if they are, it's suddenly a a huge um, shame on not only her, but her family and her entire race and culture. And speaking of Nikki, I remember she gave um, her kind of version of Baby Got Back in her Anaconda video. And she, you know, she was ridiculed for her performance and for like all the twerking um, yeah. that took place, you know, during her performances. While you didn't get the same thing from Miley Cyrus when uh, she was performing with uh, Robin Thicke doing uh, Blurt Lines. I know we're kind of jumping a lot, a lot here, but you just reminded me, um, when we were saying Nicki Minaj, we had Nicki Minaj's wax figure um, put into the big wax museum and everyone sexually uh, objectified it in, in ways that a wax figure, you know, wax figures are already objectified, they're right. objects, but they were essentially objectifying Nicki. Like it was your opportunity to feel on Nikki, to pose with Nikki, to grind your private parts on Nikki. And it reminded me of a lot, a lot of Kara, um, Kara Walker's, is it Kara or Karen? I forgot her name. But the, uh, the sugar baby, right. um, the big Sphinx-like sculpture she had in New York. Um, I forgot the official name title of it. It's one of my favorite pieces. I can't believe I forgot right now. But the same thing happened there where we have a black woman's physique on display. And the first thing everyone does to it is sexually objectified. I just find that so interesting. And there might be an ass quota because we look at Sarah Bartman. Um, we look at, we look at, uh, I don't know if I said her name, her name right. Venus. Sarah Sargenti Bartman. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we look at her and her, what made her so quote unquote fascinating is the fact that she had so much ass. She had so much body, so much curve. And we see this replicated um, so often with Amber and with Nikki and with this uh, sugar baby sculpture. We see that the more body a woman has, the more 
uh, freely objectified she is. Whereas the skinny girls like Twiggy or Taylor or Miley, it or or even Ariana Grande, they can walk out in leotards, and it's not really sexy. It's like again a kid in a dance leotard. Uh, so the more body a woman has, the more the more she needs to be aware of it apparently, and cover some. Like she needs to be more wholesome if she has more curve, which is really a, a gross concept, uh, especially when it comes to black women. It's it's a really gross concept that because of you being born with this skin, with this body, you have to be ashamed of it. You have to cover it. You're naturally unholy or untouchable or immoral. It's so weird. We've kind of developed this obsession with, you know, ass now and like everyone can get one essentially. Mm -hmm. um, the quote unquote ghetto booty, that shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we, then we have like a person like um, that white girl Iggy? things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and which, she by the way, came out. little side piece. I was rooting for her when her mixtape dropped. I was here for it. I was like, I'm here for this thick in the waist or thick in the hips, thick in the bat, thick in the ass kind of Australian girl trying to rap. I was here for it because it felt more authentic in her mixtape. You know, I was watching the videos, um, her pussy video, and I forgot the other one called, but it was it was authentic-ish. You know, you could feel that she was really vibing with the culture, and the moment she got signed it was a total 180. Her, her raps got worse, her rhymes sucked, but still she was able to give this, well, not black people, black people didn't give her the black pass, but white people gave her a black pass for us because she had so much ass and because she was rapping and because she hung around black people and because Nelly, not Nelly, um, because T.I. was there for her. You know, we kind of, uh, it's the same thing, the shrouded in blackness that both Amber and Kim either have or want, they tried to give to Iggy. Um, it just wasn't theirs to give. But yeah, continue. I had to do that little side part because I was really rooting for her and she really disappointed me. But she really capitalized on Black women's bodies and embodying what it is that everyone loves about Black mm -hmm. women besides our skin. Even Kim Kardashian has also capitalized off it. You know, however, she gets, you know, she gets the privilege of not being black and kind of getting like that white pass that we were talking about earlier and taking different elements and kind of bejeweling herself in blackness but not actually appreciating black people as a whole and what it actually means to be black. But then we have someone like Stacey Dash on the other hand who recently created a lot of controversy based on her statements on being a black and being a woman to almost kind of cover up who she really was in the past. Right. Her entire brand outside of Clueless was built on the fact that she was a sexy black girl. She was sexy to white men. She was sexy to black men. Stacey Dash was a sex symbol. And I think it's so funny that she out of nowhere wants to like get this white past when... <laughs> You're, you were built by black people, okay? Like your entire career was to cater to blackness. It was to cater to the black male gaze. And out of nowhere, you have, um, I'm trying to pick my words nicely because I, I really don't like when we sexualize black women for them, but she really has prostituted herself out personally to white media, to white male media specifically. She's almost saying my sexuality is now officially reserved for white men with white money even though you know all of her videos on BET like I know right and he called her out so badly he's like she is hollering it up for the media like they're not um, just distant it, cousins though like they're real legit cousins. first cousins like <laughs> you call his mama auntie <laughs> so it's it's so funny that she wants that that white pass now that I think I think it's weird um trying to judge her career I think she knows that she has to move out of the sex thing. I think she knew that she had moved out of the sex thing and so she kind of tried to align herself with a more um political base and it's odd watching her because it, it's she doesn't really fit when she when she speaks you know she doesn't exactly know what she's talking about you know like she she was on she was on Meredith Vieira talking about why uh women shouldn't get paid as much as men or something some shit like that and she's sitting there like, well, if you just work as hard as a man does, it's, who are you to talk like? Like, you didn't work hard for your money. You you worked hard in the gym 
which inevitably made your money, but you didn't work hard for your money. Right. Um, like she didn't even strip. It wasn't, it wasn't even about that. She had to show up and pose, which I'm not saying modeling is an easy job. I'm just saying it's not rocket science. Um, and it, it's very interesting that she's hit this mark in her career where she no longer wants to own um, what made her who she is today. And she kind of wants to separate herself from her blackness. In association with her blackness. I mean, because if she was a white girl, who knows where her career would be? It could have been bigger. It could have been smaller. Who knows? But as a black woman, Stacey Dash is who she is because of her black female sexuality. I think at this point, she kind of feels her beauty almost fading. Like, well, at least inside, on the outside, she's still gorgeous, but on the inside, she is ugly, okay? I'm, I'm Ugly. I still think, you know, her beauty is, she's getting older, and, you know, it's hard to, um, to still keep that same income going as an aging woman, um, and so it almost becomes instinctive to, okay, I'm going to separate myself from my sexuality mm-hmm. and from my blackness, because the two almost go hand in hand, unfortunately. But it totally works. Like, it worked for Raven. It's been working for um, Whoopi Goldberg whenever she says something out of, you know, out of pocket on The View. It's working for some reason for these Black women to um, trade in their race, it seems, for a better career. Which, I honestly, I'm not going to say I'm even mad about because Black men, for the longest time, haven't had the backs of Black women. Please tell so me about it. So it's almost like Black women are saying, you know what, fuck it. I got my sisters where I can get my sisters and the rest I'm going to try to make some money off of it. So let me go align myself with these white people and try to get these coins because y'all ain't trying to help me. And I, I see that and I can respect it to a certain degree, but it it has seemed almost like Stacey Dash, when trading in her her sex card, she just threw the black card in with it, you know? Yeah. Just like the whole Beyonce thing that she became more sexy. It's, oh yeah, you're black. So it's almost like the... the the more Stacey Dash remained sexy, the more black she was going to be. It was such an act of desperation, really, because, I mean, what talent does she have to really display? Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to cast her besides BET? Mm-hmm. Right. Because she's not that good of an actress. Like, let's be fair here. Her talent only gets her so far. So I don't know if I can, I mean, like, I get it. You need to get your coin, but I cannot stand behind it. Right. Like, at all. Right. I understand. Don't like it, but I understand. <laughs> And I even think about it from a historical context, you know, throughout the generations, um, I can't just say just black women, but um, the black diaspora as a whole, we haven't really had the chance to um, own our own bodies. Um, With women, you know, we've always been the subject of the male gaze, Um, even through women's lib, uh, we didn't quite get that privilege. And unfortunately, still today, we're still fighting to get that that right even i don't want to call it a privilege but that right yeah i a big part of this i think it goes really deep into the fact that um black culture and black people have always been um in the eyes of whiteness nothing but our bodies that's always been our usage um for slavery for inventions for prostitution for for medical purposes it's always been about the black body so now we're in this era where our black bodies are quote unquote free. You know, we're allowed to use the black body as much as we want, but they become either a threat or they're disgusting because they can't be used. So I see, I see it in Stacey Dash that she is so accustomed to this, um, whether she knows it or not, this mindset of being prostituted. You know, she, she's so accustomed to being used for only her body. I feel like this is her opportunity. Um, this may be how she sees it. I don't know. But this may be her opportunity to kind of reclaim herself, which if that's the case, I cannot be mad. I really can't. I don't like it. Cannot be mad if this is really her effort to reclaim herself. Um, I think it's gross, but if, hey, if you can find your sense of freedom, do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Which leads me to my next question. So in 2016, can black women of any nationality rise to stardom, worldwide stardom, without sexually objectifying themselves or displaying this hypersexuality. Mm-hmm. I think about girls like Janelle Monet who have amazing talent, you know, undeniable talent and beauty, and yet they don't have this Taylor Swift worldwide stardom where they're known, right. you know, in everyone's households. 
right as um she's a great singer and a very very beautiful face and altogether a great um intellect and advocate and we don't we don't allow her to really come up because of um her because of her lack of of male gaze sexuality i think the only person that was kind of able to get away with it was um erica badu but even Erica had a few songs in there with a little bit about sexuality, not a lot, but a little bit. And then, you know, she was naked in window seat and she's always been a more curvy, well, not always, but she's been a curvy girl. I, you know, Erica's made it, you know, she has the respect that she needs. She just doesn't have, you know, all the coins for some odd reason. Okay. So no, she doesn't have the respect she needs. We're going to edit that part out. She doesn't really, Erica hasn't really made it. I thought she did, but no, looking back at her career and she hasn't, she's not as big as she should be. Um, I'm trying to think of who else and really Janelle and Erica, they aren't where they need to be because they don't, they don't show off their sexuality. Jill Scott's not where she needs to be, but that's because she does show off her sexuality, but she's also a black girl, a big black girl. Right. So. Yeah. I'm really trying to think like. I don't, I don't know any black women, um, celeb, celebrities right now that are na- uh, household names that aren't the topic of sexual scrutiny. Uh, even when Michelle Obama first got in office, it was, oh, she's ugly, which is, I think, a crockable. Uh, she's showing too much right. skin. It's so provocative that she's showing her arms. And it's like, is this a joke? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me right <laughs> now? <laughs> she is the epitome of class, and we're sitting here trying to find sexual things that are wrong with her. Uh, even when Obama first came into office, they created the Obama dildo. Wow. Like, are you joking? Black sexuality, black body is never off limits. It's always going to be um, a way to to control or a key into black culture. And we see that with, I think, every black woman today in the mainstream eye. Yeah, I even think about, I'm, I'm just trying to think of women who have kind of broken yes, that barrier, yes. barrier. And not even Oprah, you know. Oprah, this, you know, coins for days, but yet her body Mm -hmm. and her weight is always, you know, the topic of discussion. It's always about, oh, you're too big, you're too thin, or they, you know, want to bring up her sexual abuse as a child, which is brought up so often, it's kind of really creepy. Yes. Um, There, It's always about how Oprah looks. Remember that one magazine cover where Oprah revealed herself without makeup? Yeah. Or not magazine cover, it was inside the magazine. And people lost their shit. They called her ugly and everything, and it was so bad. Like, her Oprah didn't need her body or her or her physical image to become famous. In the least. It's always been a defining factor in her career. Even her her ratings, they fluctuate depending on her her weight and I find that to be crazy. Well, that's why she bought um that's why she bought bodybuilder uh, uh, body weight wa- watchers. By weight watchers, yeah. there we go. Because it made sense for her brand. They had always talked about her body. It made sense for that to be her next business venture. It seems like no one's immune. It's always something, you know? Always. If we look at Queen Latifah, if we look at Queen Latifah, her, she, you know, she went from kind of butchish to classy sex to sexy sex back to classy sex. Like, she's gone through the gambit of what, um, of how to use her body. If you look at Chicago and her Mama Morton sing, uh, Good to Mama, her, her bra is pushed up so high to the heavens. And it's all about her cleavage. The entire song is about how to use um, what she's got to get what you need kind of thing. We've seen this in multiple roles where her body defines what character she's playing or how we see her in that role. I remember she reveals her breasts in that one HBO film with Monique. Um, Bessie. Yes, Betsy. And, you know, that was just the topic, you know. Okay, they were ugly looking breasts, but that's not our purpose of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was such a... A great film, and yet that was the only thing that people could concentrate on is her exposing herself in this film. Listen, okay, because Bessie was sexual. She was a sexual figure. She had a sexual appetite. She had a a sex life, and that was so much a part of her, that character, um, that Queen Latifah really did the role complete justice. She killed it. She really killed it in that role. And the fact that all people could really talk about were her saggy tits. Oh, well, get over it. You know, I'm still trying to think, and I think about, you know, young Gabby Douglas in the Olympics. Oh, my God. I know I'm going to listen to my head, but the Gabby thing made me sick to my stomach. She was a child, literally a child, and all they could talk about was how manly her body was. Or her hair. Or her hair was too, quote, unquote, nappy. 
girl, please, if y'all knock this shit off and win some damn awards, see, it's the same thing with um with Serena. Everyone has to talk about her body and how she's manly or she's too big and blah, blah, blah. If you focus on the job at hand, Serena's job was to get these awards and accolades. Gabby's job was to get these awards and accolades, and they are shitting on the game. Their body doesn't need to be a conversation piece at all. We don't talk about other athletes. Like Cristiano Ronaldo, um, for Real Madrid's uh, football player, Yeah, he he's one of the only athlete male athletes I know that we're constantly talking about his body, and that's because he's always on a cover, half naked or fully naked. Well, David Beckham. Like, he's... Oh, yeah, David Beckham in his underwear. Like, you know, for men, it's always, oh, look at them. They're so sexy because they're owning it, because they're doing it themselves, blah, blah, blah. For women, it's all about, but who's making them do this? Or why is she doing this? Or, ew, she shouldn't do this. It's such exactly. a clear separation of, of white male sexuality versus black female sexuality it's a clear distinction of who has the power and it's so historical you know and so historical that ain't changing girl that is not going to change okay that's part of this culture and you know it goes back to the the slavery era where Mm -hmm. black women were used as breeders you know or as you know the sexual plaything of you know their masters at the at that point in time or just let me get my sexual kicks you are now a cum dumpster since the moment that we've set foot on you know this american soil we have never been um anything but cattle essentially and it's so hurtful um to reflect on it and see that that is the reality but what we can do in this moment is try to mm-hmm. push forward and try to create a change that, you know, our future generations can build on as far as changing the the perception of black women or to make it equal of that. Of, well, more support um, from the black community uh, and from the, I guess, the more educated black community. We see a lot of differences. Um, well, I'm just I'm going to base off my own Facebook feed right now. They're, you know, the friends from back home. They're the friends from the back home church that I used to go to. And then they're the friends from college. And each one of these groups always has a different critique from the other one. It's, you know, it's either, oh, shout out to Nikki for doing her thing and being a boss. Or Nikki is just a glorified whore. Or we have Nicki Minaj is the best rapper of all time. You know, we have these different concepts. Yeah, right. We have these different concepts depending on the friend bases that we have and where we met these friends in our lives. And I see a lot in the black um, college educated community. Womanism is definitely taking over. It's becoming more of um, it's becoming the the main philosophy that we should all hold. But I also see in, you know, with our non-college educated groups or our lower um, class status groups, we see that there's still this respectability thing that has to be held up. Because honestly, our class does help us get away with some of these other things. But if you, let's say you have a obvious, like, I mean, dark skin sister who's out here in the hood, you can't, you know, you can't tell her that owning your body is such a great thing when she has to carry guns or some sort of weapon when walking down the street. You know, with some things that lots of women of higher classes don't have to do that because they're protected by other people. Like someone's looking out for the uh, soon to be or fully educated black woman. But I feel like no one's really looking out for those that aren't going to college, for those that are still living in the hood, for those that are stripping on a daily night or on a nightly basis. Uh, I feel like no one's really looking out for them. I love when, when white feminists want to talk about the friend zone. It's always like, um okay well we could be friends and she's like oh you know i don't want anything and he's like oh well you know f you and walk away but then in the black community i see it more of oh we could just be friends and he's like fuck you bitch go die and da da it's like oh my god is this a like is this the only reaction you could come up with is this the first thing that came to your head is to hurt my physical body because i can't because i won't have sex with you uh the friend zone becomes so violent and so volatile uh, violent and volatile in the black community. Um, and that's why, you know, black women really can't depend on black men as their protectors. 
it's really black women are black women's protectors and black women are black men's protectors, but black men are not black women's protectors. That so reminds me of the dynamic of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, we see a lot of activism from women protesting against police brutality against black men um, and black women as well. Um, and yet we don't kind of get that same, it's not reciprocal, mm -hmm. the support there. Um, and it becomes frustrating for myself just to walk down the street and then someone says something to me or, you know, they're in a close enough distance. I'm put in a position where I don't know what to do and I have to critically think about my next step because it's critical. Um, I could be violated for rejecting someone um in a way, I guess, that, you know, they don't like to be rejected, you know, if they have problems with rejection. It's so, it's nerve-wracking, right. to say the least. And this aspect of um, black men protecting black women, no, I, I don't feel that all the time. You know, I don't feel like there would be, you know, a guy who would, you know, step out of their way to take up for me. If something happened to me, you know, whether it be catcalling or, you know, whether it be an act of violence by someone else, I don't necessarily feel that way. Uh, I never understood that concept when I was growing up of why catcalling was bad. Um, you know, to me, as a man, I was just saying, like, it's a compliment. Don't you like that? Like, why don't you want to be complimented? Me as a vain gay man, I was like, yes, I love being catcalled. Okay, you better give me my tens on the street. Give me all that. But, you know, once I finally, you know, dug into uh, studies and surrounded myself with feminists and womanists, I was finally able to understand it is a fear. It's a fear um, factor in there. Like someone cat calls you, hey, beautiful. Hey, beautiful can turn into uh, a date or it could turn into you're murdered in 2.5 seconds. Uh, a lot of times in these conversations, they always, not they, um, lots of black men and black women in the older section of the community they always want to talk about, um, oh, but you have to think about the oppression that the black man has gone through that puts him in this mindset that makes him feel like he can get away with this kind of thing. And every time it's like, but we're really ignoring the true victim. And that's the dead woman that we just had to put in the ground. Like, it's always, oh, well, you know, he didn't mean it. It's just years and years of oppression. It's years and years of not having enough. It's because he didn't have a father in his life. It's because he was poor. It's because he was uneducated, blah, blah, blah but we're still not defending the woman that we just had to bury. And it's really a sick, um, con it's a sickness in our community where we ha always defend the man. The, the, the man child can get away with sleeping with whoever he wants. If he gets a girl pregnant, oh, well, boys will be boys. The girl is getting kicked out of the house because she got pregnant. Or she's, you know, it's her fault because she wore those shorts to school that day that she got raped or et cetera and so on. We're always defending black men and that's only feeding um, into the entitlement that that we are given through growing up and through school and through society because whether we're black or not we're still men and as long as patriarchy stands we are we we are feeding off of that level of power it may not be a lot but it's still substance for for our entitlement so i don't want to end this on like a dreary note I want something to kind of um, uplift the moment. And we are in celebration of Black History Month, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which doesn't start with slavery. And I want to kind of take a moment to really recognize someone or, you know, give a, a, a fact about someone that, you know, the world at large may not recognize or may choose not to recognize. Um, so cool. Since it is Black History Month, let's give a shout out to... Um, a, a black woman who really, who really made um, life work for her. She really did use the cards she was dealt in a very interesting and positive way. Um, I'm gonna go with Maya Angelou for this one because she, she herself, like majority of the black women I know or have read about, had uh, was sexually molested as a child, um, and her sexuality became something of fear and of pain and confusion, uh, even to the fact that, you know, her first son, her only son, Clyde, Clyde Johnson, um, was born out of the sex she had with the man that she was trying to convince, she was trying to convince the man that she wasn't a lesbian. And therefore she had sex with him to prove that she wasn't a lesbian. And that child came out of that. 
the fact that she had to prove herself because being a lesbian was bad or women shouldn't be lesbian or black women should not be lesbian. Uh, this concept, she in her head, she had to do that. And then later on in her life, when she was when she worked as a prostitute herself and she was a madam, uh, a female pimp for lesbian prostitutes. This was, you know, this was her, her life um, in her efforts to protect her sexuality and protect other women um, who are out there. She, she really did make it her mission to secure her, to make her, her negatives in her life become something positive for other people. I just want in this Black History Month to remind people that Maya Angelou, our most respected uh, uh, poet, I think in, in, in our history, we we have to remember that she has a sexual past as well and that this is nothing to shame other women about. This doesn't define women's lives. It doesn't define black women's lives. That there is a way um, to reclaim yourself from the male gaze. That is very powerful and very inspirational. Um, for my recognition, I can't just choose one. Um, so my first one is going to have to be Harriet Tubman. Hey, um, Harriet. <laughs> yes. You know, of course, a lot of people know about her work in the underground world and her leadership. However, you know, people people know about her, her womanist leadership back in the first wave of feminism. Uh, she really worked towards women's rights as well as rights for her people. And by default, that makes her the baddest womanist of all time, you know, in, in my opinion, if not the very first womanist of the American era. Yes, and the fact she was a spy with some guns. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> of course. And so for my second recognition, I'm going to have to give that to Toni Morrison. Besides her literary work, yes. um, she really embodied herself and, and who she was. Uh, she said, you know, not you're not going to objectify me. You're not going to sexualize me. I am my own woman and you're going to have to basically deal with it. And and if you don't like it, then basically fuck you. And, and that's what I got from it. And that's what I, I take with it, you know, personally. And what I take throughout life is just that message. Absolutely. Listen, Toni Morrison's one of them bosses. Like we just named three of the biggest bosses in black history. So shout out to all you who are listening. Get your knowledge up. Get your SETI on. <laughs> you just got a crash course in three of the badass Black women of our entire history. So I just want to thank our listeners out there for tuning in to our very first podcast. Um, you know, it's my baby. It's something in the making. And we're only going to get better from here on out, covering the full spectrum of human sexuality, um, some serious topics, some fun topics. But we hope you guys stick around for the ride with us. And thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Talk Pod Sex with Monica Renee and Chris Edwards.